When we first started this journey, we were super excited to work with DFNS because we genuinely believed in their product. We felt like they had created something that was needed and necessary across the apparel, travel, and sneaker industries. What we didn't realize was how necessary their apparel launder spray product would become in a time when many people have limited access to cleaning facilities for their clothes. Log on to dfns.com to find out where you can grab a bottle for yourself. We are sending our love and peace to everyone at this time. Hopefully small things like fresh, nice-smelling clothes will help ease the burden on parents, on carers, the able, the less able, and everyone who has had to wear the same clothes for the last month. This episode of Camel Assembly Radio was recorded a couple of months ago. It's now April and COVID-19 has changed the whole world. The whole world has paused. Everything is different. Uh, We are in the middle of New York City still and there is a crisis going on in our home. Uh, We are also seeing how much people are responding and rallying and community has never been more important. And so... We felt that it was better for us to be authentic with you and share with you what's really going on, even though this is not an ideal setting to be recording in. And what's really going on is that we are currently sitting in Kesha's closet under a blanket on top of a pile of clothes (laughs) because this is our new recording studio. This is our life now. And you know what? Creativity will find a way. You can't stop something that needs to happen. And so here we are. And um, I feel a lot of things right now. I. What are you going through? Hmm. I, you know, I think a lot of people have had a lot of a really tumultuous time adjusting to this life. I don't feel that personally. Like, I, my life has been global for a long time. So I feel like I'm always on FaceTimes. I'm always missing people. It's really hard to be away from my family who are in Australia. My father is 72. He's really far away and that makes me nervous and sad. But I also recognize that there are countries that are far better prepared for this situation than the one that we are in. Um, so I'm really, really outraged about that and I feel a gross negligence. But I also am really okay and almost like more creative than normal and more grateful than normal and we've been running circles digitally for the first time ever every week and I am so every day every week yeah sorry every day of every week and I am so inspired by how people are staying strong and resilient and you know it comes back to the fact that humans survive humans survive that is what we do and I'm really, really uh, grateful that everybody has a moment to return to their humanity. I'm seeing how people are responding and checking themselves. And they've been forced to sit with themselves for the first time ever in a lot of cases. And I know that I am 
grateful for the for the work and the the experiences of the last year that I feel like now I can sit with myself for long periods of time and and not go crazy and I I hope we all come to that realization and maybe fall in love with this new way of living whilst also recognizing how tumultuous the times are you know yeah and you know the truth is like I agree with the gratitude and stuff and definitely humans survive but also you know humans die Mm -hmm. and that's what's happening and I think it's really affecting me how it's starting to just come closer into my life my circle I am every day starting to have people have an uncle who's died or a stepdad who's died or onwards a friend you know and it's like it's becoming really real because I remember just two weeks ago it was like well, I don't know anyone who's died of COVID and now we can't say that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was talking to my mom yesterday and she's just such a, she's such a real empath. She's really struggling with just accepting that all these families are having members of their family die and, you know, really realizing like that could be any of us. And it's scary. I personally am somebody who's highly experiencing you know, COVID anxiety. I have had multiple panic attacks. I have literally thought I'm dying of COVID. And it's really shown me how powerful the mind is. It's really shown me how fear, that part of our brain, can take over your body physically. And um, I'm just really humbled by this experience. You know, I'm definitely hopeful and those things as well, like grateful, but I'm definitely humbled. I know I'm not immune to anything. And so I'm really relying on my faith right now because it's just a reminder that I don't have much control over anything but my health, taking care of myself, checking in on my people, bringing my ideas to life still in the ways that I can. You know, I've been flowing creatively and doing online parties and camel assembly circles and putting out DJ mixes definitely trying to stay in my flow but also you know that's one side of how my operating mode is and the other operating mode is sideways crippled scrolling on my phone and crying so Mm. you you know you said something really powerful in the first week of this happening and you said that people are the same before during and after covid you know and i think that that's true of individuals. And I also think it's true of our, our planet and our society and our operation mode, you know, and as you, you know, can you articulate that a little bit more? Because I think that that was really powerful and useful. And I see a lot of people resonating well, with that as well. What I said was, and I'll just read it. Who you are during this time is who you were before this time and who you'll be after this time. Are you listening? Are you asking for support and giving support? Are you waking up and procrastinating because you're feeling lazy or hopeless? Are you feeding your anxiety and feeling out of control? Are you focused on productivity and money to help you feel secure? Are you leaning on love, connection, presence? Look at yourself. This is your operating mode. It's confronting to look in the mirror and realize this is how we play life, pandemic or not. How are you living? And, you know, that really came from just looking in the mirror myself and realizing, oh, you know what? I play life very creatively, I think, 
and also fearfully, to be honest. You know, if I have to be honest with myself, I, yeah, sure, I'm loving and creative and those things come out, but also what comes out is uh, the need for certainty and fear. And it's it's been a real journey having to try to rewire my brain right now in, while my brain is processing a whole bunch of new things as well. Mm. And I think to to further that point, you know, it's also how our society is operated. What's mm. happening now is not unique to the COVID experience. It is very much what has always been there. And I think what we're seeing is like the governments who never looked after their people continue to not look after their people. And the governments that did look after their people continue to provide, you know, like I've seen in some European countries that they are subsidizing like completely subsidizing small businesses four thousand dollars a month like taxes are set aside not because they are a are a punishment for the wealthy and for people who are achieving which is what a lot of kind of capitalist centric thought would say but they are there to create safety nets in times of chaos and I think you're totally correct and honestly we're not going to go back you know it's like that was the end of an era Truly, it was the end of an era for all of us individually, and it is the end of an era for our world. Our world will not go back to the way that it was, and things are going to change constantly every day. Um, but I do feel a responsibility that we all have to try and keep ourselves healthy and then try to contribute to what that new world might look like. But I hope you're right, because to be honest, I'm not sold. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of what we lived is what we will continue living after all of this. Because, you know, humans are forgetful. We are, but we also need emotional experiences to be shaken out of stasis. And so I feel like the, the majority of people who haven't had that emotional experience all of a sudden did. And I'm not saying that gratitude will continue forever. I think that constantly we need tangible experiences to be able to learn and to grow. But I don't think that we would be able to completely forget this time, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, and I do also think that... Definitely we, stirring everybody up. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if we keep staying present, we have to stay present. We have to stay healthy and keep learning the lessons. You know, we have to keep our minds strong at this time. And I think that is that is really the, one of the big lessons I've learned at this is like, I've spent the last three years lamenting what should have happened and being frustrated with myself and being frustrated with other people that I forgot to live, you know? And I feel like this has all reminded me how important presence mm. is and that you can only ever learn from the lessons that you've had and then keep staying present and building from what you've had. And I, and I, you know, there's so many lessons in all of this. I wrote about it the other day. I wrote that there's a lesson in all of this and there's a lesson in this for everyone, but everybody's lesson is different. And that's so crucial for us to stay awake to so we hope that everybody is staying safe and having as much peace as you feel like you can cultivate and also being authentic and honest in the moments that you can't and we're going to go back to our regular programming now and we'll be here should anybody need anything at any time and can I mention, I have spent so much time of my life randomly in my closet that I'm kind of liking this new studio it's kind setup. It's like a cubby house. <laughs> I'm sweating. 
but I'm cozy. We're in a fort. We're in a fort. We're here together. Like, honestly, it's sort of bringing me back to my childhood. And that's kind of a blessing. Isn't that this whole thing, right? Bringing us back to ourselves. Into our humanity. What's important? Being in this closet has been important. What's terrifying is that we... Like, this whole thing has been really refreshing in different ways and, and, you know, climate change and all these things that we're seeing that are actually the positive domino effects of COVID. But it is kind of terrifying that we're becoming more reliant on digital and we're only consuming more Mm. and people are downloading more apps. You know, I think that's something that's making me a little wearisome is, you know, for us, especially because so much of our belief system is about bringing people together in real life. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how our habits are affected by the end of all of this. Mm. Will people go back to really just, being out and about and wanting that or are people going to be more obsessed with now you know it's not just instagram it's tiktok and it's not just tiktok it's twitch and it's not just twitch it's it's just it's endless amounts of Mm. new consumption consumption yeah be aware of consumption habits and how they simply move around yeah they don't eradicate they just go somewhere else and that's because that's again a human thing right Mm. that insatiable need Mm. and I think two. Th- I have that's really a, an important point. Two things on that. The first is that Yuval Harari wrote a really important essay about the COVID time, and one of the greatest threats that we, one of the greatest threats that we face, is that this can be a time where surveillance becomes a real intrusion on the basis of safety. So we can start having governments at this point saying you need to be monitored and so we're going to start implementing this thing and there's going to be this camera and it's going to read your well, health you know, and your temperature. And It's happening. Right. Our sister in Tel Aviv, she said that she left her phone at home the other day because they're not allowed to leave their homes and she was afraid that they're tracking it exactly. through her phone. Exactly, monitoring. And that's, it's not true. It creates a false dichotomy in the mind that either you're safe or you're um, private. And that's just not what it is. Having those two things together can exist. You can still be private and you can still be safe. And I really want us to be clear on that because this is a time where manipulation is very accessible and easy because everybody's scared. The second thing is that, back to your point about specifically consumption, we have the ability right now to change a fundamental economic principle. The first thing you learn in an economics lecture, anybody who studied economics, The first thing they say to you is that economics deals with the problem of unlimited demand and limited supply, which is a huge issue. Why is our world set up to try and meet an insatiable demand with a limited planet? It was never meant to be like that. And right now, what we have the ability to do is to move away from that habit and away from that pattern and recognize that there is enough. There is a place where you can stop. You don't need to buy 10 rolls of toilet paper. You can buy two and have enough. And then when you need another two, you buy another two. And I think that's a big thing that particularly in the West, because we don't understand the nature of scarcity, everything seems accessible all the time. We don't know the fear or of running we're, out. we're too... Scarcity is drilled into us so deeply. What do you mean? is why people are buying 10 rolls because of the scarce mentality that they have. Right. And or or and because they don't understand that that doesn't like if you can't if you're harvesting have you if you've ever harvested from a garden, you recognize that you get two potatoes a week. 
You don't get more than that. You get two potatoes. So that's what you have to eat is two potatoes. If you think there's an unlimited supply of potatoes, you're just going to keep eating as many potatoes as you think that you're entitled to. And that's a fundamental uh, mental flaw that we haven't actually been able to draw the correlation between. Exactly. So I hope that this is a time for us to recognize, hey, I actually have enough. With what I have now, I'm going to take what I need and then I'm going to be satisfied. And that is another opportunity we have to rewire our brains and recreate our systems so that there is enough for everybody because right now it's really unweighted. Keshia Hannam, taking you to French Fry School. (laughs) (laughs) That that is my dream. Does that mean that I can't have endless amounts of French fries? That is exactly what that means. Like just for so many reasons you shouldn't have endless amounts of French fries. It's an honor to introduce our guests for today's episode, Liv the Lurk and Dylan Ali. We're talking about triggers, which we wanted to make a space to talk about so that we can recognize triggers more commonly in our everyday lives. And also at a time where many of us are sitting with ourselves more often than perhaps we ever have, wanted to make space for people to recognize that triggers can come up in our quiet times as much as they're going to come up when we're interacting with the world and the people within it. So it is our honor to introduce our guests and thank you so much for being here, ladies. Hi, sisters. Thanks for having us. Okay, we're just going to get into questions that we ask, you know, every woman that comes and sits with us is, who are you? What do you care about? And what are you making? Dylan. So I am a young black Muslim from the suburbs of Washington, D.C. I'm a nerd. I love art, activism, fashion, culture. I love diaspora. I love music. What am I making? I am a DJ and I also throw events. What are you making right now? Right now, I, I don't want to spoil it, but okay, it's a cool. It's it. okay. So it's a it's a show. It's a show performance slash dance party. Oh That's come it. on! Yeah, it's gonna be cool. Yes, I love I that. Need to, need to just finesse. It's all cool. And what do you care about? I care about everything, and it's like a gift and a curse. It allows me to become more empathetic and really like try and reason with people and put myself in their circumstances. But it's a double-edged sword because I'm, like, crying all the time. I'm very sensitive. Yeah. And, like, also get, like, crazy anxiety over it, too, because I'm like, yo, there are all these problems, and I I can't even do anything to really change anything. Especially over the course of the last two years with this new administration, the anxiety has been through the roof because I'm, like, literally watching, like, everything go fall to pieces in real time after, like, my entire existence in this country beyond, like, yeah, the racism and the Islamophobia beyond the sexism and stuff like beyond that great time great time so now it's like i'm not used even with bush he sucked but like in the genocide was bad but hey like i didn't feel like my whole life was just flipped upside down you know yeah definitely hopeless but i also like am hopeful for the next generation because i feel like if you really look at the timeline every time every moment of civil unrest or extreme oppression the following generation or the like the youth they end up going some radical like just changing the entire game shit i agree and i think that's like i also even relate back to hong kong i see that i see that around the world right now yeah everywhere everywhere everywhere. it's happening in sudan it's happening in russia it's happening in hong kong it's happening in 
the United States, testing in the UK, it's like people are needing to change the it's it's almost like something is not working and so the world is vomiting it out you yeah. know and it yeah. and we're bearing the brunt of that but hopefully yeah. that brings something new True. olivia hey everybody uh <laughs> i'm olivia i don't know who i am i'm still figuring it out i'm a social butterfly that's for sure and i have been since i was a kid I've been throwing parties since my like fifth grade graduation party. <laughs> I young. threw a party for fifth grade class. I, I threw every party that happened while I was in high school, including my prom after party that the cops showed up to. And I made everybody hide in the dark and handed out candy, which I still do at tech time every once in a while. So I definitely was like born to be in social settings which is ironic because I have a very deep hatred towards people. <laughs> no. Um, it's weird. Masses like I love people. I love human beings. I find them fascinating, but I get really stressed out and anxious <laughs> being around them or talking to them. And like I said earlier, I really don't want to be known like I enjoy being a fly on the wall which is why I originally like started being a door woman and being a waitress and doing these things where I got to be in crowded settings but like I wasn't the focal point and that's also why I do events and stuff because I get to kind of be like a puppeteer but it's not about me like obviously we live in a world where you kind of have to put yourself in the center every once in a while what I'm making I am the co-founder of Tech Time. It started in New York, but I have a lot of friends in a lot of places because I was born in England and I've lived abroad and I tried living in LA, which failed um, miserably. Mm -hmm. But just trying to connect young creatives around the world and bring them together under this umbrella organization that I'm still figuring out exactly what that looks like. What do you care about? Immunity. I care about connecting people to other people. I think not everybody is that good at talking about themselves. And I'm a lot better at talking about other people and seeing the beauty in other people than I am in seeing that in myself. So I get a lot of joy out of finding two people who need each other and being the person that gets to bring those two people together. And I also just care about having a good time. I think life is so depressing. And like you guys have talked about, there's a lot of horrible things happening in the world. And there are a lot of triggering things that happen in our day-to-day -day lives, especially living in a city like New York. And I just try to bring like a safe space, but also a space that you can have fun in with the radio show. You know, I don't know couple hundred people maybe listen to every episode but if that's making a little bit of an impact in someone's day like that means a lot Absolutely. when one person texts me and says hey i listened to it on the train ride today so glad you're both here thanks for having us yeah thanks having a great time already <laughs> cozy so i guess since the topic today is triggers we should just make sure we're all using the same language my experience of triggers is something that causes a negative emotional reaction. So whether that's sadness, panic, fear, all the way to fainting, fatigue, you know, sweaty palms, 
we experience triggers. And I'd love to hear about the most recent time that you've been triggered or the most recent time that you learned about a new trigger you had. It's so important we talk about this. Triggers is actually, I don't know how, how recently it came into the common vernacular, but I do hear people talking about it a lot. And I think it's really important to identify that we so often will be feeling one way and then all of a sudden our mood will change and often we don't know why. There's like the, okay, this just reminded me of that one time where I got my heart broken in like 2015. Triggers. And then there's also the, this really just made me so mad. Like, ugh, I'm over it, but I'm not going to like say anything about it Mm. so i don't feel like getting into my deep traumas today but um today i was triggered because my roommate just expects all of the women in the house to clean everything for him Mm. and it reached a point where like this like million year long paragraph (laughs) saying like we are not your mates like yo you're just doing this because you don't want to listen and you hate being controlled not because you have any level of consideration for the other parties of this home but beyond that um yeah I really get triggered by literally anything it's kind of wild like I just I'm very observant of my surroundings I'm like always taking in information and then like I'm always like because I'm Leo narcissism sorry I'm always relating it back to myself and then whenever I relate it back to myself I always get sad at the end (laughs) (laughs) you are the best Disney character honestly there needs to be a whole story I definitely have a lot of triggers and I've dealt with a lot of mental health issues since I was a kid but today I guess my two biggest things is like financial things and romantic things are oftentimes my two biggest triggers and today my boss texted me and asked if I could take the night off because there's an event and they just don't need me and my immediate reaction was oh they're trying to fire me Like, that's just where my head goes. Mm -hmm. And so then I start freaking out. Okay, so that's my main source of income at the moment. Mm. What am I going to do? Yeah, my mind, I always jump to the worst. Um, And, like, financial burdens have been a big issue for me just because I didn't grow up with money. And I've been financially supporting myself since I was 18. And being broke, like you said, it's doable in New York. But I'm also getting older and hope fully never having to go back to the means that I had to do when I was 18, 19 years old. Like I just immediately like started crying. I was like, oh my God, if I have to be a waitress again, I'm going to lose my fucking mind because I (laughs) promised myself that at 23, I would never have to be a waitress again because that was a terrible industry to work in. Yeah. I think it's, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to not have triggers and then like trauma and and mental health in the same sentence because it's all coming from that same place whether it's a a, a scarcity you know I always say like I think I'm a very abundant person but I'm very financially scarce because growing up poor you you're always afraid that you're going to be poor so for me what that has manifested into is like actually just I don't care about money and so I'm not somebody that's every day being like, let me hustle and get money. I want money. I'm like, oh, I live very minimally and I'm very happy with it. And like, I don't need money. And sometimes I think, oh, I should be more abundant financially. Right now, I would say like a recent uh, trigger that I have, which is a whole episode of its own, is gaslighting. But moments where someone does something to you and you're like, or they do say something or they create a situation and you're like I don't think I'm the crazy one I think this and then you know people that should be so safe look you in the eyes and they're like 
I didn't change the light. I don't know what you're talking about. And so recognizing how much of like, for example, my marriage or relationships following or non-romantic relationships, how much I've been gaslit and allowed it in this powerless, you know, part of my life. Now, I mean, like I am so defensive to when I know what the truth is that it's like hard for me to let go of it now because I'm like, no, no. Cash will be like, yeah, we have a meeting at five. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I said a meeting at three. And I'll be like, you're gaslighting me right now. What are you doing? And she'll be like, okay, wasn't that deep? Like, change a little bit. Yeah, Change the time change. Because you told me I had this long to get ready. You said that shit. You said that, right? You said that? You said that? And it's like, I did say that. And so I found that this new, this is like my newest trigger is like at a lowest level. Like, I don't want anyone gaslighting me because I have so much trauma from it, right? And so that's why it's like I'm triggered because there's trauma. So you can't actually talk about how you get triggered unless we actually do want to look at our mental health. And I saw this really beautiful uh, Instagram quote. (laughs) You know, it's like the best things, right? The source of all wisdom. And it was basically how like, you know that you have gone through healing um, of triggers when like somebody comes for you in like an old way, expecting you to like react in that old way and you don't, you know, or, you know, things that have that would take you out of your element you now can control yourself and it doesn't take you out of your element how do we heal yeah we can recognize the trauma but how do we actually heal from it the only way i can get over something is if i forgive it completely and accept that person or entity that gave me this trauma accept the circumstance for what it was in that moment of time accept that there were so many different factors that went into this specific moment so many just like mm. dark notes apps yeah. dark it's very yeah. very sad but <laughs> as soon as i'm done reading that shit I'm, I'm like going over it and really processing it i'm like okay now forgive accept the lesson and move on mm. awareness is the first step yeah it really is the first step and it's all possible like I, like i really could think back on like random things that would really make me upset at like 17 and 18 and i feel like i'm at a point where at least like of those things are no longer prevalent in my day-to-day life. So now it's like unpacking the 7 to 12-year-old trauma. That's like the most sensitive time of your child development. Every small thing, whether it was your parents or your siblings or that one teacher or that one boy, all of it just like it stays with you. So it's like now that I'm starting to be able to see it manifest in such a casual way, it's just like being able to pinpoint, okay, that's from when I was like this freaking young and this is from when I was this young and why did that make me feel the way it did? Was it because I couldn't understand because I was seven? Was it because this person took advantage? Did I feel powerless? Like, you know? So it's just, it's a constant inner battle and dialogue and something to always like pay attention to at all times. Tools. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been coming in and out for a long time, but I would always notice that when I came to America, people were particularly more self-aware than they are in other parts of the world. I do think that there is, um, you know, I, I when I talk about the difference between the UK and the US, I will say that in the UK, we achieve silently, but we suffer silently. And in the US, there is this 
public suffering, but there's also a public achievement. So it's like you celebrate what you're doing, but you're also going to talk about what you're going through. And it's just, it's just cult, it's neither is better or worse. It's just like this and huge generalization, but that's just sort of what's culturally acceptable. Everywhere has had enough time to truly define themselves as a people. Because we are literally a melting pot all over the country, I feel like we're not going to have a choice but to be able to confront our ideas because we're all so different. And then on top of that, because it's like been founded and ran by old white dudes since the beginning of time, and since the marginalized are slowly but surely able to like not only articulate what's making them mad, but they've accrued enough power and resources to not only advocate, but to change the systems that are oppressing everyone. Mm. And I feel like that alone is, and being able to watch that in so many different eras since the country was founded is what really gives us the like comfort that like, yeah, you know what? World's kind of messed up. But we're going to get through this. And if you got me fucked up, I'm going to let you know. And I feel like they don't have that in a lot that of places. That is what I feel. I do yeah. feel that. It's like, if you're knocking to somebody here, they're going to let you know. But if you, I, and I think additionally to that, it's like, even if you're in somebody's space and it vaguely affects them, they're going to let you know, you yeah. know? So I think what's curious to me is both of you, particularly being on the grounds of New York's cultural scene and really driving that culture and creating that culture, what do you feel like is the is the state of people's um not mental health that's a really loaded question but what do you feel like people are comfortable to talk about do you feel like the conversation about triggers is something that you could have with anybody do you feel like people are self-aware and know how to move in different circles whether it's ethnicity whether it's gender whether it's sexual orientation like people are a bit more cognizant to the different triggers that people might have or do you feel like we're still learning that language i would say from my personal experience i literally feel like everybody's mother and I feel like because of the job that I have a lot of people come to me and tell me things that they wouldn't necessarily talk about with anyone else um and I don't know if that's something I've portrayed and people feel safe with me or whatever that is um but I would say a lot of young people definitely have dealt with a lot of trauma and do not have healthy ways of coping with it um, I was going to say earlier, I had a really, a lot of really traumatic things happen to me in high school. So when I moved to New York, I didn't drink or do drugs for the first three and a half years that I lived here because I wanted to have a hyper sense of self-awareness. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of kids living in New York or moving to New York now gravitate towards places where they find other people like them. And I think one thing is that even I don't think there's a lot of diversity in New York in terms of like things are still really segregated and even though everybody's jumbled up like for example tech time most of my white friends would not come to tech time for a very long time they still won't um because of the type of music because of the type of people because of the energy blah 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 I agree and that was really upsetting to me because this was something that means a lot to me and I wanted it to be diverse and I wanted people who are in the art scene or in the music scene or in the fashion scene who are gay black white old young like I wanted it to be a mix and it started to become too much of one thing which is why I said I kind of stopped it but I don't know I think I also think Instagram gets in the way a lot of people actually talking about what's going on in their lives 
in these social settings, you kind of assume you know someone because you follow them and you don't actually take that five minutes to say, what did you do today? How are you feeling? Yeah, that's a, and that's a really good point. The idea of tools. What are, what are some tools that you use for being able to deal with being triggered or, or stopping yourself from being triggered? Breathing, writing. Yeah, I like that point about writing yeah. down every time you recognize it. Yeah. I, Breathing I, you know, I've been doing that. I've been in the club, honestly, sometimes my on my notepad yeah. being like, you don't even know right now. <laughs> you don't even know. I'm not texting anyone back. I'm actually, you know. Diary gang. Yeah. yeah that low key, lowest of keys. Diary gang. I love that brand. Lowest of keys, Finsta. Here's the thing. I like have to filter it because people really do be the police. So like I can't really go in on like however I'm feeling exactly but if I'm just like oh something just made me mad and you get this off make it super vague in general but enough for it to make sense to me boom send I'm good I'm over it so I got it out as long as I get it out or another thing that I do frequently I have like three people that I always call my sister my dad and my best friend Rom those are the three people that I know at all times will always answer it will always give me the exact advice that I need to hear. Let me know, nah, Dylan, you tripping, like, relax. Mm. Or, no, actually, they kind of tried you. You need to stand your ground. So, like, having other people to communicate to and really just get a full perspective of the circumstance really allows me to, like, contextualize my emotions, whether I'm overreacting, how to handle it in the future. Yeah. Like, sounding more perspective. It just, yeah, it just makes me feel more in control of the situation than I would otherwise. And Liv, being the mother of your community, do you have people you can call? I feel like I used to have it. I think it's shifted, and I was actually just talking about this with someone the other day. Like, I feel as I get older, the support system I used to have is no longer adequate because people don't understand the situations or the positions that I'm in anymore. So I'm now seeking out new mentors and not new friends. Like, I still have, like, one or two go-to people that are so far outside of my circle that I feel I can always talk to about stuff, but definitely mentors. And I think your point of saying no, I just met with an old professor today who's kind of acting as a new mentor for me, and he was just stressing the importance of saying no, and that's in anything, business, personal, romantic, anything. And it's something that I've always been really bad at. I think it's really important to recognize the energy expenditure. You know, it's like, because we all do this, right? We all are in in social scenes, in creative scenes, throwing events, throwing parties, welcoming people, making sure people have a good time. They feel safe. They feel like it's been memorable. And it was like, I had this crazy experience when I did acupuncture for the first time. Um, I don't know if you guys have done acupuncture, yes. but it's like... My, okay, sorry. I had to, because I'm so happy. Okay. <laughs> positive trigger. Positive trigger. <laughs> so, my... Beloved grandfather, Majid Ali, rest in peace, he was an acupuncturist. And while he was like, uh, whenever, he, he would always have like random clients and stuff come to the crib and I would like really watch. And then I remember one time, I think I like had some weird injury from like a sport I was playing and he gave me acupuncture at like six years old. And I was like, wow, this is kind of lit. So like for a little, for like, so whenever I had something going on, I had headache, tumbles, uh, wow. shoulder pain, the trapezius muscles. If I had 
something in my leg, you know, all the like right pressure points. So I feel like that was just the most you relieving. So relieving. You still do that now? I, I wish I that I am not rich. Oh, catch, catch <laughs> he is incredible. He did acupuncture on me, and I've had like a variety of experiences from. Um, stimulants to to really intense spiritual experiences to to health things and he when I first did acupuncture I thought I was gonna die like I, I and I'm and I'm not a hypochondriac like I, I'm genuinely like yeah no I'll get hit it's fine but like I he started putting the needles in my leg and by the time he got to my shoulder I had nearly blacked out I was sweating profusely, and then by the time I came to, it, I had let them in for like 20 minutes. I felt like I was watching everything going on in the room through a tunnel. I could barely hear, there was a ringing in my ears, and I was like explaining the situation to him. He's like, you were really, really blocked. Like, you had a lot of blocked energy. Mm -hmm. And I was like trying to grasp my, get my head around this and grasp what he was saying. And then I caught up with one of my friends in London the other day, and she was like, Kesh, and I was telling her the story, and she was like, Kesh, I don't, I don't think you recognize how much of a toll it takes on you to be present for as many people as you are to 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 put on and throw your energy around a room that requires a lot and I think that we all do that and we think it's just part of our work it's just part of our job and it's exhausting <laughs> and I think like recognizing that I have literally taken 27 years to recognize that thing and now I'm like okay cool that caused me to be like it's like I was holding on to it tight in my body for all those Yes, and the the ability to be able to release that, I think, is critical. I studied at Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute, so we studied the method. The cool thing about it was, like, although it was, like, frightening to revisit some of those dark moments from my past, I feel like it helped me overcome them. Because in that moment, I realized, like, okay, not only is this not really happening right now, I was able to really find, because I'm literally re-experiencing it, I was able to find certain things that, like, really made me make sense of it or like at the end of every traumatic exercise they would have you go to a place where you're like think of the happiest thing that you ever did ever or like the happiest you've ever been and I feel like going to that place after experiencing the trauma made me realize that like yo although things may feel hard and impossible now it gets better because you're happy now and I think that process of going through pain and coming back from it just is something that I try to keep and practice with me every day. My biggest thing lately has been I'm obsessed with riding city bikes because oh, like getting on a bike shoot. is not only like a physical thing, but it's I have to concentrate and focus so it gets my mind off like whatever I'm thinking about. I don't really like the gym. I get distracted and like insecure about weirdos at the gym. Yeah, but like city fair. bike is fun. I like I'll bike home from meatpacking to Bushwick at like two in the morning. Like yeah. but just shit like that. Like things that you can do or like walking your if you have a dog, like taking the dog to the dog park, like doing things that get you out of your environment oh. and distract your brain from whatever it is that you might be thinking about or obsessing over. I started DJing when I was going through a divorce. So it's it's funny that today I'm a DJ, but my intention was never to be a DJ. It was just, oh, I wanted therapy. Maybe yeah. art therapy. As a creative, like, I just wanted to be able to delve into learning something. You know, when you are in trauma, you have a whole bunch of energy. Oftentimes, you don't know how to direct it because you're you're hopeless. You're uh, crippled by anxiety. Like, all these things where it's hard to actually turn the trauma into anything. And so, for me, it was very much like, let me just learn a new skill. I have all this energy. What am I going to expend it on? 
And I think that is like an important part is like don't fuel your triggers. There is no point of putting more fuel in that fire. Take that energy and expend it on something that will actually help your life. And it's so easy to say it and actually then do it, you know. And I've seen it in my own life where I'll pick something up and be like, this thing. And then a week later, I'm like, not interested in that thing. But it's about like, well, whatever that thing is. If it's city bike right now and in four months from now, it's Pilates, who cares? It's more about find the thing that you can put your energy to that will come full circle and serve you and make you better. As you think of your daughter or your son or your offspring, what would you tell them about triggers and how to protect yourself and how to be people who are strong and forgiving of yourself and of other people? That they don't define you. Triggers do not define anyone. I feel like our experiences enhance who we are. They add like a little flavor to whatever God created us to be. It adds to what makes you you. But we should never allow this moment that made you feel pain to hinder you from fully expressing yourself. Definitely finding people you can trust. Like I like to find male allies everywhere that I go because it's really important to have that. Because at the end of the day, I can't always stand up for myself and I don't always want to stand up for myself. So it's nice to know that I have someone in the room that I can trust is going to have my back. And so grateful to both of you for using your voices on something so important. I know that you guys are just, you know, badass women. Everyone wants to ask you guys about your art and all the wicked (laughs) things you guys make. But it was so special to talk about real things. You guys are true leaders. We're not going to end on such a serious note. Pamela Assembly's Rapid Fire. Not so rapid, but very fire. Rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire. Fire. Rapid. Fire. Okay. Five questions. Five questions. Where were you two years ago? New York. Oh, shit. I don't know. New York. (laughs) Cool, cool. What's the first thing you notice when you meet somebody? Their teeth. Their eyes. What's your all-time favorite Halloween costume? Something slutty. Santa Claus. <laughs> Green or purple? Green. Green. Lastly, what is your biggest obsession right now? I just started cooking. I went like years being queen of the deli, and I was like, girl, you are getting old. Get you a palette. Mine's probably city biking. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You guys both love both those things. Not me. <laughs> she cooks for me and she city bikes to me. <laughs> Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your voice. Thank you. Thank you. There's beautiful women. Dylan Ali, Marching Daily. Olivia Roper, Marching Daily. Yelda Ali, Marching Daily.